Okay, good morning, welcome back. We're having Shear back in the shul. We're able to start a drop early. It'll be a little more seamless. But uh, now we have the advantage anybody coming from far has a chance to get to the computer. I see uh, Yossi made it. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's Yossi. It says Yossi L. So I assume that stands for Leviton. So, uh, so that's good. And um, we're going to start back Paragimel Pasuk Yutes. And for those of you who were not here or were here, but a quick recap either way. So Ayud ben Geira is hatching a plan in his head, and that's going to be important. I mentioned last week, it's pretty clear to me, he didn't tell any of the people coming with him to Eglon Melech Moev, and... He came, he showed what was politically correct to do in terms of paying his respects and paying his taxes and bringing gifts and flattering him, and he came with a whole entourage. And then they all left. So Eglon Melech Mayev is in a very good mood right now. And then as Eud is going back with all the people, he gets to a certain point and they all scatter and go in their various directions and go home. And then he makes a U-turn and circles back. And one of the Sfarism of Farshim suggests why he didn't tell them is because he felt that they would either stop him because it's a very dangerous mission. And he also felt if it failed, there would be reprisals and he didn't want any of the blame going to them, even though Gedalia just said it might anyway, it might not help. But as a man alone, it's a little bit safer for them. Plus the fact that after he tries to assassinate or successfully assassinates Eglin, one person on foot can disappear a lot better than 10 or 15. So for all these reasons, he doesn't mention it. And now he comes back, Pasigites, Paragimel Pasigites, who shoved Minha Psilim Asher Es Ha Gilgul. Now, Psilim. Rashi says, if you look in Rashi, Makam Shapaislin Sham Avonim in Ahar. It was a quarry. So Psilam, you're taking, you're cutting out stone. Other Mafarshim say that it also was a Makam for Avodazaras. And Avodazaras all over the place. And it was a well known Makam for the Gayim because they had their huge statues there. One of the Makaimis. Possible that the quarry was a place of Parnassa and a place where civilization really was moved along. The uh, building projects were major and they would put their Avodazaras in such a spot. So it's not, not a steer at all. So this Mokom, he comes back and he walks into the palace. Again, his dagger as a lefty, is on his right side. Very small, small size Amma, as we explained last week. And somebody was asking me yesterday, if B'nai Kahas were 10 Amas tall, Shaila, is that Chazal literal or not? But it could be. Not everything is an allegory. Sometimes it's a real number plus an allegory. So, Ashfer was asking me yesterday, if a person's 10 Amas high, even you take the smallest Shita and Amma, let's say, a foot and change. The Chaznish is closer to two feet. We don't realize how tall that is. The difference of a few inches, it never ceases to amaze me. I'm not short, but I look up to a guy like Adalia. 
and I have a brother-in-law who's your height, and I, um, I look up. He's only two inches taller than me. I'm 6'1", he's 6'3". How tall are you? 6'3"? 6'3", 6'4", 6'3 and a half. Okay. So, there's, a, there's a clear difference. Take a basketball player, the tallest of them. How, how tall are they? Seven, seven something? Seven, okay. Like okay. 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 So 7'10". So th- we're talking about a difference of a foot and a half? Two feet? Uh, what are we talking? And it, it looks to us like... So then you get to 10 amas high, the smallest shita is 10 feet and change. That's huge. So number one, that means in all probability the other shvatim weren't doing shidduchim and shevet levi, which is fine with shevet levi, <laughs> unless they were doing shidduchim and they're just like very tall husbands. But uh, it's just like a, it's like a different sug. But the logistical thing was they were carrying the iron. The iron was only an amma and a half. So assuming that that's the assumptions. My shvatim time talking about the shal shudas yesterday. So assuming that if you're 10, 15 feet tall, you're also a lot wider because it's got to be balanced, it's got to be proportional. So then, just picture, they're carrying on poles, they're carrying the urn, the urn, you're going side by side, you have four people going side by side. They, yeah, the shoulders already, but where'd the urn fit? So, okay, when it comes to the urn, I don't know if anything's fair. The urn is nice, it's nice, the whole thing was a, was a nice. They were being lifted, so it could be that was one of the But just interesting, the child, is that literal or not? There are many things in lots of um, 606 and 3, the certain numbers in the Gemara, which means certain things, and you know, 10 might mean something also. Shiloh was it was a literal. But when you talk about the dagger we're describing, there's already Machalikas in the first, and we saw last week, was this a smaller armor, larger armor, either the dagger was almost two feet, or it was a smaller armor, a foot, maybe a drop less. So it was something very, very handy, yeah. Over six feet being a mum would only be relative if everybody is shorter. There's a discussion historically, maybe you have an article on it, how tall were people, you know, they were examining uh, the Nina Pinta and Santa Maria. How big were the cabin? I think they, some concluded from there, they thought they found something and the people were a lot shorter. Or the conditions of the ship were very fair, <laughs> which they were anyway, but... They, they try to measure how tall were people. I don't know what was going on when Columbus discovered America, but that was a long time ago. I do know what happened in the last 40 years. I know this in ourselves and our grandparents. Was your grandfather 6'4"? No, but my great-grandfather was like 6'2", 6'3". In Europe? Even, in yeah, Europe? Yeah, okay, that's... My grandmother, who just left her recently, yeah. tall. Okay, so that explains the Eisenbergs. Okay, <laughs> but... Uh, but I. Okay, so all my grandparents. Uh, uh, my father's side a little taller, but uh, my mother's side, everybody was short, and part of it was in Europe, clearly, and they weren't poor. They were living in Vienna already. They, they, weren't, uh, they weren't in Poland. They weren't malnutrition. But in Europe, people didn't eat uh, as they should, and uh, they were shorter. No doubt about it. They were definitely shorter. And therefore, my grandparents and my father's side are not awry. I'm fifth-generation American. They were, they were living already and, and eating American for a... For a few generations, so of course they were taller. My great grandfather was taka tall, but uh, by American standards, not necessarily. So, um, so I don't know if that would be considered. A mum is always relative to what's the norm. How much shorter? How much taller are you? If so. We were ten feet or ten arms tall. How do we know what the rest of Shvatim were? No. So their rai is that everybody else was normal, whatever normal was then. But it was that was clearly a lot head and shoulders over everybody else. That, 
saying, but we're talking, that's why I'm giving the example. You may meet somebody today who's six, four, six, five. Even if you're tall already, you're looking, it's, it's a big difference. We're talking about a few inches. So, anyway, the Amma, Shirem, always an interesting thing to think about. But it was, it was petite, concise, uh, small, hidden, and he's walking in depending on the assumption that he has it somewhere on his thigh, probably whatever it was, and they're not going to look on that side in the first place. That was the plan per our discussion last week. So let's go back. So he walks in, he's now standing in front of the king, and he says, I have a secret message. So people like secret messages, especially if it's directed at them because it gives them coven. And he also, most before Hashem learned, he told him, I have a secret message from Hashem. Uh, that's obviously going to be very important to what Eglon does and what his reaction is going to be. So as soon as he started saying, I have a secret message, before he finished the sentence, Eglon right away wanted to hear it and didn't want anybody else to hear it because it's secret, and he felt the pride in, you know, only secret message from me, especially from Hashem. All the other of the ancient world knew HaKadosh Baruch Hu, some chose to want to ignore it, some gave HaKadosh Baruch Hu covered on their level as one of the greatest, or sometimes of the greatest, but that somehow didn't cancel their own worship of Avodah uh, to whatever their excuse was, cover their basis, and various other uh, Kruma explanations. So, he right away orders everybody out of the room. So Farsham Lauren Hus means he told Ayud to be quiet until they leave. Or he told everybody else, be quiet and be quiet, they understood means get out. And he let everybody leave the room and he told everybody they must leave the room. I say let because it's highly unusual. This is already nace number one happening before we even get to the uh, cloak and dagger part. And that is if you're ever emperor just a general rule, or king. If you send people out of the room, send almost everybody out of the room. It's bizarre, and that's like a pretty uh, well-known rule, as emperors go. You never send everybody out. You could send a lot of people out. You never give an audience, uh, I don't know what they do in America, it's not really a malchus, but I would imagine if you go see the president, they ever see, ever see the president? Are you allowed to see the president one-on-one? Do they send everybody out? Sure not. I, I, would, I would doubt it. What? Individuals and they close the door? Yeah, I think so. They have outside, they check, they triple check. Uh, yeah, but the guy has hands, the guy coming in. <laughs> there are some people out there who would like to do things to the president, and not this president in particular. Well, this president, maybe. <laughs> I'm saying, but there, there are, that's dangerous. I, I would. Yeah, but you still have hands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, would they let a, uh, you know, a, a wrestler in? What? I, that's if you get to the panic button. I, I don't know. Uh, if I were president, I would want you to stay. Um, but uh, that's just... Yeah, that cram is a great for getting the guy afterwards and arresting him. No, that they're doesn't... Right outside is, they're, they're... I, okay. I, I met the guy when I was in the White House. You remember my drush? Uh, I met the... It was, uh, we were talking, the only people left in the thing, but the president was, already had gone to retire for the night, and he was in the next uh, building the attached building, but there was one guy standing there, and it was pretty, um, you know, you're looking in, you could picture as one guy standing outside, yes, at the camera, if they hear some sort of 
tumult, they might want to come in. The question is, on time or not on time? I, interesting you're telling me that. I would assume, without push it, that there's always somebody in there. Um, apparently, Eglon, but this is a nace. I don't want to over-explain it. Eglon said, you know, Aid was just here. He brought such a nice gift, and he was the head of a delegation, a very important man, and he comes back with a message, a secret message from God. So how dangerous can this be? So he sent everybody out, and they shouldn't have gone out. We're going to see later on, uh, they're going to look pretty ridiculous. But that's all part of the nace. So they all leave. This is Yerichai. Keep in mind, if you haven't been to Yerichai, or the new city of Yerichai, they didn't rebuild the original city, it's very hot there. Very hot. And they didn't have built-in AC, and they had Elias Mekera is like a portico where you sit out, you get the, on the second floor, you get a little bit of a breeze. And we're describing this because this was a special place for him to relax and get some air, and nobody else is around, and the few guards that were here were just sent out. So he's sitting there. So first he said a secret, and now he spells out it's from Hashem. He might have insinuated that before, but now the Mephoshim say, as Rashi is going to spell out clearly, it's not only Dvar Elohim, but what I'm about to tell you is from Hashem, and therefore, alt covered of the Shechina, you have to stand up. Why do you want it to stand up? Because Ehud weighed around 400 pounds. I just made that up uh, some large number. Maybe he was big and tall and he was even more. He hardly was able to move. For him to get up was an extreme effort. And just getting up can make him a little bit off guard and discombobulated, which is what Ehud is trying to do. And it's easier if you're trying to stab somebody. And it's not going to get too graphic. Uh, It's easier if they stand up and you can do the job. Because if he starts lunging toward him, he might press his panic button that you just spoke about, and the guards will come in, or he might scream. So Rashi says, You got to stand up. Now, Eglon Melamov is not exactly used to taking orders, but he just got one. And he's going to comply, which is perhaps the first, certainly the last thing that he's going to do that's even slightly ruchniistic in nature. As we mentioned last week, the Chiddush over here is, is that this small gesture, important gesture, but small, he's an Abed Abelazara, he's a Ratzeach, he's a tyrant, he's been terrorizing clients for many years, and he doesn't only believe in Hashem, clearly, but he recognizes there is a power here, and somebody is representing Hashem, and he says, get up for the cover of the Shechina, and he's going to get up, which is a Shechus, and because that's Shechus, he has Rus and Malchus Beis Dov and Shalmel coming out of him. They were probably all born already because he's going to die very soon. But the extra push is Siat Hashmaya that Rus is going to have. And the implication is, and again, Yaakov and Yaakov can verify, but kings were evil back then in general. Extremely. Right. So therefore, Eglon probably didn't think he was any more evil than the other kings. So of course like, not. Oh, He's bringing me gifts. And, you know. Yeah, Ehud had his trust. The, the brilliance of the plan over here is first year, bribe a guy. And, uh, you know, call it a bribe. In those days, they actually called it a bribe. They didn't even have any. There was nothing illegal about it. So there are many Psukhamanavi where they said, I'm sending you a bribe. Here's 7,000 ducats and take it. It's a bribe. So there shouldn't be any mistake that this, the bribe's coming after. Was this just a warm-up? But 
even when it's not uh, politically correct, we still have laws in America that are constantly evolving, depending on who's in power, of how much money you can give to a political party and to a president. They're all bribes. They're still doing it. It's funny. They, so they made the thing, and then they had to create, I don't know what they accomplished. They said, you can't give too much. Then they created these super PACs. You can't give directly. You've got to give to the super PAC. It's all the same thing, and they just keep making more laws. You shouldn't have too much influence. The same guys have the same influence, and that's the way the world goes around. I'm not saying that's a perfect science, but over here, A, it understood. The first, we've got to be nice and look like we're corroborating, and then when I come back, he'll be in a good mood, and he'll, uh, he'll take me in again. It just, it, it, he, he uh, it probably thought, Eglon, I'm a pretty good guy to the Jews. Oh, I mean, what did he think about himself? Yeah, he says, these Jews must really like me. He, yeah. he just came, they came for an audience, and now he's coming back and schmoozing right. me more. Yeah, that's probably true. Although, within dictators and ruthless tyrants, there are probably those who understood that they, they didn't even have that yet. But, uh, yeah, I don't have any Dom Likas, but you see, we don't have that many dictators and Rishayim standing up for the Shem Hashem. But there are a few of them, and when they do, they're still Rishayim Gemurim, but they get so much schar for the little that they did, which is very heartening for us, because every little gesture counts, and what you do goes far. Can you imagine? He's a Russia, did nothing else right, and he still got schar for it. Koshke, if you're doing it, Lishma. So, that, exactly, the four steps, so this is, these, are, these are big things. So that's the point of Chazal, is that everything we do counts and in a much bigger way than we, we imagine, and if we would keep that in mind, we would do more of it. So again, and Rashi says, next page, and which is a big deal for him, he struggles to get up, and he actually uh, gets up, and that was the moment. Again, a small dagger, very large stomach, and as the pus is going to describe, it actually uh, gets lost in there. That's how large he was, and uh, that's better because Eud doesn't, the Mepharshim explained, doesn't want to pull it out. He picked a small one. He didn't plan on pulling it out. He planned on leaving it there. The nace was that it actually went further in one major describes almost by itself it continued going in so there shouldn't be any evidence right away and that there shouldn't be any blood on him because he's got to get out of there and if you walk out with blood stains that could be a heads up for the guards if they see him and the handle goes with the blade and he dies pretty immediately, and the Kishka's things start uh, coming out, and it's not a pleasant scene. Well, it's pleasant if you're Eud and you did the job and you're exiting stage left very quickly. And the Pell over here, part of the nace that Akash Bochu set up, is that the people left in the first place, and it's his area where he's known to cool off, and he's also known to use the facilities because they didn't have separate facilities. It was a big area, talking about a palace over here, and the fact that some stuff is going to start getting a little odorous is not so strange to the people standing outside. It's still going to require an ace because they're going to wait a long, long time. Uh, One of the... um, advantages, I put that in quotations, of being a ruthless tyrant, is that uh, nobody talks back and people don't disturb you. Here, one of the disadvantages of being a ruthless tyrant is that if the door is locked and they don't want to disturb you, they're not going to disturb you for a long time, much longer than they should have, because they're scared to disturb you, because it's off with your head 
for lesser offenses, and that's going to work against them over here, and it's going to work uh, for Klai Yisrael. Right. And he was sleeping, and one of the Nisim... Yeah, he had a very bad temper, to say the least, and uh, they didn't want to wake him up, yeah. So that uh, that doesn't work well. So the reason they always acted like that is to uh, command that type of fear, but it's ultimately not good. And of course, the, the advantage of the democracy is nobody should be in fear, and disadvantage is nobody listens either. So... <laughs> Everything's got a everything's got a mile and a chesaron, uh, so you can't get anything done, which we've spoken about on separate occasion. Uh, but for us, usually it's usually it's good if we don't give them too much freedom to smash windows. Uh, the, you know, if they, if they rein it in after a while, which uh, hopefully they'll get a handle on. Uh, the um, let's let's see Chav Gimel, and then we'll explain a little further. It's so they had locks and keys then, and uh, Ayod, of course, was very calm, and you don't want to run out and look like you're in a panic, because that's going to give you away if you bump into somebody Also, He took the key, locked the door, and he took the key with him. Uh, as he's running, he's going to throw the key, or drop it, and they're going to find it later. And that's fine. We're talking about a key. We think keys. Why would you drop the key? You know, the keys are probably big, heavy things, and he's got to run and can't be settled down. But he takes it far enough that by the time they find anything and go in, he's going to be long gone. And uh, Rashi teaches the uh, Mr. Rona is, is the Sasadra's open portico, which is where he was, and he takes it and he locks the gate and he runs. The Rashi before just uh, I don't know who had breakfast yet or not, but you know Yetsei Hapar Shadina Rashi describes is the kishkas and the things inside of him that were slowly coming out of the body, which is going to cause the odor, which was part of the nace because that's going to cause them to wait longer because they think he's using the facilities. They don't think at all that he was uh, just assassinated and that's the uh, body. Uh, doing what it does. So that's going to buy him all the time that he needs. So they, he doesn't bump into anybody directly, but they see he's leaving, so he walks out and he salutes everybody, and he uh, is walking very slowly, and they give their nod, and then the meeting's over, so they come and they see the door's locked. They don't think there was foul play, which was not foul, it was fair, but in their book. They figure just using the facilities so they don't bother him. Next Pasuk. The Lushen over here at Baish Rashi says is Ad Ikuv, meaning They waited a long time. Again, the Mepharshim Taich Ad Baish also means Busha is embarrassment, meaning when they finally opened the door and they realized what happened, they were the ones who had the busha, or worse, they probably were executed afterwards, for being so reckless of waiting so long, like 2020 hindsight, the other superiors would mention, like, didn't you realize that it was longer than usual? They said, yeah, well, sometimes it takes longer. We didn't want to interrupt, because why send out the panzers? That might turn them back a D-Day, right? So the, um, the fact is that afterwards, there's always a head or two that rolls, and um, I wonder what happened when Yemach woke up. He probably wasn't too uh, thrilled, and 
probably didn't have too much patience for the explanations either. Even as it, even as it was on the way, what? Even when he knew, he didn't. Uh, okay. Well, that's what uh, Hashem designed when the uh, horror is supposed to be over. It's not going to last a minute longer. They found it. Now he's back to that place where he started from. There was a pre-planned signal, the shafer, that if they hear it and they hear it coming from this place, it's a signal that he succeeded in the mission that they really didn't know exactly what he was doing in the first place. But he told them, have the troops ready. If I give you a signal, then go into battle. And now he got to a safe distance. He's able to use it. Keep in mind what a drastic change this is and what bitachon they had in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and what, uh, I don't want to say the same bitachon for a human leader, but they followed Ehud even though a minute ago they were under the complete subjugation of Eglon and been that way for years to change the mindset and all of a sudden, okay, so that had a little bit of a warning. He told them to be ready for something. But still, to be able to follow him into battle, which the Pasuk accentuates, he went in the front, which David Mel did also, to lead them into battle. They were still vastly outnumbered. He was working with the assumption that, well, he had this Ruach HaKadosh or his Navu as a Shailah when he said, Devar Kim Li. Let's go back to that for a moment. Was that part of the made-up story? Or was that true? And you're not supposed to say a Navua that Hashem gave Navua if it's not true. That's a serious Isser. So many of Hashem say, no, his Navua was, he was told to go do this, and that's how he did the plan. And the other shot is that, no, he knew based on the Pesukim read by Shevet Binyamin that he's supposed to operate like this, he's supposed to trick him into doing this, not to an ace nigla completely, a lot of Nisim going on, but he understood from the Pesukim this is, and that was the Navua. Either way, uh, he understood the Achrayas was on him to make this happen, but they had Amunas Chachamim to follow him. He was the Shafet, and they, uh, they followed him. He's going to be one of the longest reigning Shafetim in the entire Sefer. He's going to, we're going to see afterwards for 80 years, including the years of subjugation. He will rule. The end is going to be Shamgar is going to help him at the end of his old age, and Shamgar himself is only Shafet for a year after that. So he's going to be the longest running one, and we don't know too much because the Pasuk doesn't have to tell us. If he's a Shefet, that means he's a Tamachacham, unless we know there were only one or two who decidedly were not. There's only one that actually took the throne, so to speak, illegally. We'll get to him later. Everybody else was a Tzadik and a Yush Tamachacham. He wasn't necessarily a Sneel Ben Kanaz, but we already know from Chazal, his Cher Pipius is the Schus of Torah that gives you Schar Belamazer Belamabba. And he had the Schus not to save Klai Yisrael and get rid of Eglon, and they never came back, one of the few enemies that never came back. He was able to have uh, peace, security, and, and Ruchnius, their Haslacha, for 80 years, which is uh, showing you what, what a job he did in raising up the Ruchnius and the Tshuva that they did. Again, he is not part of the equation. A very sharp contrast 
we have to respect the uh, politicians, even if we do agree, we don't agree, and there has to be uh, din and a semblance of order. But you also have to point out the gaiva that uh, there are certain governors and mayors who keep pointing out that look what we did, look what we accomplished through our policies and the situation, unfortunately, Leilenu, is always so unstable that everybody has to realize that you need Siat Deshmaya. And um, somehow, you know, God does make it into some of the speeches sometimes, but uh, usually not. Here he doesn't mention, oh, I just killed him, and this is the way he... They understood it, Lohan Geshefer, they should follow him at the battle, that's what he said. Kinasan Hashem es es the famous Maisa, one of the early, very uh, secular uh, Zionists, was once in the uh, States after Akamasa Medina to raise funds. It's probably some UJ agent or something like that. So he was approached by someone who, more religiously inclined, Hashkafa uh, Zachayim. He says, I don't understand. In America, they put on the currency and God we trust. Why don't you? In the Israeli currency, there's no, there's no shame for Zecher or Ahmad Islam. I said, Why don't you do that? So he gave him a good answer. The famous Misa, he said, at least a moment of honesty. He said, in America, they put in God we trust. They do believe it. They don't believe it. They don't take it too seriously. If we Jews put it on, then that's going to be a machayev, basically. And we have to start keeping mitzvahs, and we don't want to go there. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's a very telling, that's a very interesting, I mean, it's a complete fear. Because like, if you're mocking that already, you know, Hello. <laughs> but he's saying, no, it's if we do that, then they're going to, uh, you know, when we say, that's important because we're going to go back to discuss the Mitzvah Shem. The Schuss of Eglin standing up, Chazal say, you see the Goyim who are not even Makir the Shem Hashem with the real Shem Hashem, only a Kinui. A Kinui is Lashon Chazal. Kinui doesn't mean that Eod used a Kinui. He said, Devar Alakim. Alakim is not a Kinui. It's real Shem Hashem. It's not Yudke Vavke necessarily, but it's not a Kinui. They're different Madregas. But he didn't know in Lashon Kaidish he spoke whatever language they spoke. So he translated it for him in Moabite language. So that was a keynote. And he still had the cover to stand up. So Koshke and we who know the Shem Hashem. So why is it sometimes you'll see uh, an Akum who's, who's very respectful and we're not, the answer is sometimes a Yid, he's Dafka not being respectful because he knows that if he is, he's going to have to sign on to everything. And that's a Machayev. So at the end of the day, well, that, the result is not necessarily good because, so, so step into it and take the Mechaia. But well, at least we understand where it's coming from. And the fact, just as Alim Mitzchus and Klai, so on the Achorinim who say this, this is not a head to the talk and shul. We're now going back to our shuls. We have to be extra careful. And Zavchayim wrote in his letter, you know, don't even have the phones on any type of setting whatsoever. Just turn them off. We have to be more careful. But Lamaisa, the Alim Mitzchus is that if an Acham goes into a church for an hour a week, so for an hour a week, it's this still. We, Baruch Hashem, live there 24-7. But there, we, we, we Baruch Hashem, understand, of course, you, you live in a, it's majors, you live in a, you live in a shul. But the downside of that is you can sometimes lose the, the awe. And uh, for years and years, uh, the Ekashi is this is the way it was in Europe before the, model change, you know, Stiebel was made to be, they didn't call it a shul, because it was supposed to be in a house, they didn't want to give a full Kedush-based Knesset, so they can serve kids, whatever, I'm not going to get into the whole thing, whether that was good, bad, needed, when it was needed, but in a regular shul, you had a sitter and a homish, the Zehu, they didn't even last farm, it's a base medrash, which had, might have a higher level, does for many things, but that's a, a different makam with a different job, here we want to re- 
to have remaining the awe of the makom that we don't do anything else here. We just come to talk to Hashem. You can't talk to each other and you can't do anything else. And you're here and when you finish, you leave. You have to go to the base measure. You should spend the rest of your time there. But it's a different building. We don't have that today. Shal is how they ever were able to afford it. I have no idea. That means you're building two of everything every time they built a separate shul. I don't know how they were able to afford that, but that was the Matthias. They didn't have anything else there. So we're not doing that, and Baruch Hashem, we're not doing that because there's a lot of learning going on. Every best Medrash is a shul, and every shul is a best Medrash, but we have to keep the, the awe that at least the Goyim are taking to the bank with the couple of minutes that they do and they recognize uh, the Shem HaShem or whatever form, you see the unbelievable sky they got. So, the battle is now on, and again, he doesn't mention himself. I think page 15 was out of order if you go back in the set. I think it was one of the pages we skipped. Uh, if you can go back for a moment. Is it in your set? I think it was a page 15 somewhere. It's the first one. Um, let me get the, you want to hand me that uh, nubby over there, the brown one? He ran out of the... Okay, it's time for the Peliates anyway, so it's a good time to stop. So remind me, I have to send new Marmachemis. There was a 15 that was... that was. Yeah, there was a 15. Okay, I have to send new Marmachemis anyway. So in the middle of a battle... After page 10 on the set? Let me see. Um, let me continue. 10. And here it is. Yeah. The Yokudu, which is one more puzzle. It's after page 10. There's a 15 out of order. The Yokudu as Ma'abros Hayade Lamoy Vlanosna Ishla Avar. So the... Amazing thing is that he had figured out strategically Mayav, picture the Ardain, this Transjordan, and Mayav is on the east side, the banks of the Ardain, a little bit below. He had, through his army and through our Averas, unfortunately, not only collected taxes, sent his men in, but he had been living already on our side in Yericha in the area. So most of his army was not even in Mayav, it was in Eretz so the first thing Aya does with the army is cut off, blow up the bridges, and now everybody's stuck over there, and he's dead. He was in Yericha also. And make sure nobody escapes. So by the time they finish decimating the army, back at the central government in Mayav, they're going to hear about the news. They're not going to hopefully bother coming again because they had put all their eggs in Eretisrael because for years and years nobody ever rebelled. And it was a nice place to be. That's what happens over here. Rashi says, And they finish them off, but that's Haftes. We'll continue with that next week. And remind me to send my Mekayimetz. Let's go to the Peleyayetz. You have it in your second set on page three. We're up to Sina. We've, we actually started the first paragraph in Sina. We have the Chiyav Avtoyachamecha and the many Yisurim involving Sina. If it doesn't get under control quickly, not only are we losing the Mitzvah Avtoyachamecha, we're also going to be getting into Lashon Hara, Matzishem, Ramachlekes, Kas, and all sorts of other things. So, bottom paragraph on page 3 in the Peleyes. Everybody have it there? If you don't, uh, listen up. And uh, I'm going to have to send some more Peleyes also. So, Mr. Shem will do that this week. Min. You need a very, very good reason to hate someone, and if he's a known apicarius or he's a person who does averas for Shanabah, after he got proper Muslim, which the Chaznish says today, we don't always know how to do, and therefore maybe he has a stolen din of a Tinish Nishba. 
most of the time it's not Nagaya and you don't have to hang around with him. It doesn't have to be a bad hashpa on you, and you sometimes have to do social distancing. But hatred is nowadays usually not in order, and therefore you're not going to have the heter. And most of the time, people hate people is because of petty jealousies and covet issues and things like that. And that's maisetatum. All the whole thing is a charade. Everything we do, the guy looks like he's taking away panos from you, and looks like he's out to get you, and this and that. He might think he is. It's all orchestrated in the It's all a puppet show. Maisetatum. It's all a charade. And it's even worse when it's believed. If you have a taina and the taina can be addressed, so that's the pasuk and bring it up, and maybe you'll clear the air. And if you're doing it pretending like you're a friend, and then you um, <coughs> stab him in the back, so to speak. Uh, let me just connect it with Eyud ben Geira just while we're on the subject. So we have an interesting thing in the international scene, which the Western, quote-unquote, civilized countries claim they hold to, and I think they try, and they, usually the people who are fighting do not, but they have all sorts of laws on how to engage and how to kill people and how to treat prisoners of wars and things like that. So uh, many people have asked me, hashkafically, uh, do we have such a thing, or is... Uh, you know, all fair if you're trying to protect yourself. So if a guy, what Eid did over here was a thousand percent mutter. Well, he tricked him because he thought he was uh, coming with an avua, which he was, as we explained, and he's uh, coming to get rid of him, so fight fair. The answer is you can't fight fair when you fight fair. Eid was fighting somebody who was a ruthless tyrant who had no regard for life, and he invaded Eretz Yisrael, and there's a of keeping Eretz Yisrael secure, and the problem in Shaftim is they're not even doing that completely, and it's coming back to haunt them, and here's a foreign invader, they have a chiv to get rid of him, and if the better way to get rid of him, killing less people, is to kill the leader, otherwise you have an all-out war, they'll bring more troops and more, more people get killed, this way, killed him, they were able to stop, blow up the bridges, and get all the people in the army on this side, get rid of them, and at least hope the rest will stay home, which is what happened. So he probably saved lives, certainly saved the Yiddish lives. That's certainly mutter and achiyuv. Is it better, Lamais, in the international scene, they have some laws? Yes, because the levels of cruelty, and if they're prisoners of war, you want them to be able to come home, and they want them to be able to come home, and sometimes they actually keep to that, only because, not because they're nice, because they have prisoners of war that they're holding, and sometimes they don't even do that. That's only if both sides uh, actually listen. Well, that's the problem. Both sides, sides never listen. One side, one uh, side does it all the way, and right. says, now you should stop. Now we're winning. It's always stop. like that, and they don't, uh, so... That's a problem, but uh, the Americans feel there is something. What they feel is better for everybody's amidus and uh, culture if we keep it, even if we know they're not. There's something to be said for that, because you become more... And the Americans are relying on the fact... Yeah, they're relying on the fact that ultimately they're going to win because they're stronger. That hasn't always been the case. Um, In Vietnam, uh, I wasn't there. I was actually uh, visiting that part of the world during (laughs) during the war. But... uh, they didn't really play by the rules because um, you can't have... I mean, the rules are you can't even come fight to blow up anything if there's civilians around. But they do that all the time. They're not 
they'll claim they're not looking for civilians, but they will uh, do it even if civilians do it. And the truth is, there is some of that in every battle, Leolenu. So some people say it doesn't pay to fight by the rules if the other side's not listening. And others say that if we're going to win anyway, better we keep our standards. Okay, there's maybe what to be said for that. But if there's no other choice, and this is the only way it can even uh, contemplate doing, the guys of Rosh Hashanah, he's a Rotseach, the first mitzvah is to kill him anyway. Uh, the people trying to kill Hitler, uh, Mashamay, and the you said, how many attempts he told me last week? We know, uh, we know of eighteen of them. Okay, so all eighteen were right, and the people trying to kill him weren't nicer necessarily. They just, uh, at certain point, felt that he was doing something that was suicidal for them. Uh, of course, that's okay. It's like, well, while it's against the uh, rule, you can't uh, can't hit uh, rulers of government. Well, that's not that's not usually uh, true, even based on their rules. You're right. Right. But that's usually what it comes down to. The people uh, that you're fighting, if you're fighting for altruistic reasons, which uh, whether Americans are or not, it depends uh, maybe whose history book you're reading. But we read our history books and there's certainly something uh, to be said for the fact that they felt that they were stopping communism and that would be better for the world. And sure, the communists have something to say otherwise. The communists were known Rishon here. On the American side, they were just maybe not keeping all the Zionists, but they're certainly doing a better job at doing something civil. Uh, less man the public, even though there are plenty of people who like to be public. And the point is that if you're keeping something belave, you can never even discuss what's bothering you. So, of course, the conflict is going to continue, uh, where this is a, a big subject, but it's certainly looking back at history... Maybe you uh, studied this once, but what ended up pushing the communists to open up? Was it because, uh, you know, when Nixon came, and he wasn't such a tzaddik, and he started discussing with them, and there, there were Russian, there were citizens who started hearing, you know, there's, there's a world out there, and there's, uh, I'm not saying greedy capitalism is necessarily the answer, but he suddenly opened up a world to them that you guys are being stifled and being lied to, and, and you have nothing to your name, and, uh, and the greedy people at the top are taking it. He's the one who really opened that conversation, and then it took a couple of decades, and people started demanding it. So there was a machaikis, which the other side held, were, they held they were right, and therefore they're going to make more nukes and win this Cold War. And ultimately, as was discussed, there was perhaps an advantage of bringing it all out. I think ultimately led to that, and then the smart leaders, it was a Gorbachev, decided, you know what, it's not going to work much longer anyway, we might as well look like a hero. And that's what they, even though it's been rolled back slightly uh, in the recent uh, history. When I, when I was in grade school, I remember in social studies, they used to call China the sleeping dragon. Of uh, who, who, who is that? China or Russia? China. China, yeah, yeah, and they, yeah, they, um, and they might be a bigger problem now than the uh, no shortage of people who are hungry for covered money and world dominion. That's part of the problem. Yep. But between Yidden, you should, if you could discuss and bring it out with bothering you, maybe it will help. She believe Evrasim Shemur and Netzach ve'ain Adam Yuchal Mechaverov. You don't know what's bothering him. Lakas, Lashina, he's going to have a, a smooth tongue. And yet he'll be plotting against him. So that's more dangerous in a way. Rather, go and discuss it, and perhaps it won't help, and perhaps it will. See one more paragraph, top line on page four. V'tayv legevesh yifcha rabbe miyutem chaveira heiraloi abeif and shemutel asnei samach mazroa ma'alolav, which is rare. But if you have a legitimate taina aderch shaper shavazal ba pasuk yisira chamar sanacha, if he's a signer already, 
as Tysus explains, there's still a mitzvah to help him because whatever the original heta for the sinner was, now he hates you, you hate him, and nobody remembers what the sinner was for, and it stomps in his chinam. And therefore, do him a favor. The best way to like somebody is to help them out. The more you help somebody, the more you love them. The original sinner for most people is not due to some altruistic thing that the guy was a Russia. It didn't even start like that. It's petty kinna. What? It's the principle of the thing, right? He doesn't remember why, but it's the principle, yeah. So he has this imagined, it's impossible, because Hashem uh, is geyser what the Panos will be. He can't take away a Panos, but it looks like he's in competition. He doesn't want to admit that he's just jealous of the guy. Because it shows you don't have a, too much bitach and amuna. So he doesn't want to admit that. So then he starts dressing it, and he doesn't like the guy because he did this, he did that. And really, the other thing's playing. Sometimes it's been so long that you really gave it an honest look that the real reasons are buried, and you don't want to admit because you don't even know it's there. Sometimes it's, it's receding into your subconscious. But there's usually some petty reasons based on me, this elector, of that you really don't like the guy, and you're dressing it up in the principle of thing and all sorts of altruistic reasons. And the way is to learn a lot of Musr, and if it's, you still feel it's a legitimate taina, bring it up with him, and maybe you will settle it. And in the we will continue tomorrow night with the Brius Shir, and we are continuing with the Baltashkis. We're actually getting into it now. So if you want to throw anything out, just give me a month or two, and we'll find out if it's Mutter. Tomorrow night at 10 to 9. Call to